Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm here, as always, with Mike McDaniel. Mike, this week we're talking real football. We've made it to the end of the desert that is the college football offseason, and it's time to get going again. You ready? Yeah, we've finally done all of our previews. We talked about who our conference championship picks are going to be, and we're finally going to get to see if it all pans out on the field. Because, Joey, like we said many times, our picks probably won't all be correct all year long. That would be quite the accomplishment. Um, I'm expecting a lot of our picks, actually, you know, in true ACC fashion, uh, fashion to be completely incorrect. Uh, so we get to finally see how things go on the field, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, we're going to be making some picks throughout this episode and throughout this season. We're going to keep track of kind of who takes what and what what we're picking for each game. And I'm just hoping to bat 500. I think if we can bat 500, then we are we have good control over what's going on in the ACC. Yeah, and hopefully a little bit better than that when it comes down to our actual money picks uh, come season's end. If we bat 500, break out even, I mean, it could have been worse, but hopefully we're right on a little bit more of our wager picks, which we'll get into later in the show. should be fun. Well, if we're betting money, hopefully I'm right a little more than you are, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, Mike, we got a bit of news we got to get into before we start digging into some listener questions and then previewing week one. Uh, so a couple of instances of some pretty bad news in the ACC this week. Uh, I, th- I believe it was yesterday, Saturday, as we record this Sunday night. I think it was Saturday that Miami announced that they were dismissing two of their starters on defense. That's Alquadine Muhammad and Jermaine Grace, uh, the senior defensive end and senior linebacker, respectively. This is a huge loss. This is arguably their top two returning defenders, both top five on the team in tackles, sacks, tackles for a loss in 2015. Figured to be huge leaders that defense now under Manny Diaz here going into 2016. This is big, Mike. Yeah, and it's a real blow to all the Miami homers out there because we saw a lot of people you know, either not buying into the hype that is the North Carolina Tar Heels as far as, you know, who could come out of the Coastal Division. A lot of people were overhyping, in my opinion, Miami in year one under Rick. Um, you, you know, I've said many times, Joey, I think Mark Rick is going to be a very good coach for the Hurricanes, but I don't think necessarily that, you know, year one, it you know, means that they're instantly going to be in the conversation to win the Coastal Division. Um, but this is huge because, like you said, two of their top – two of their top tacklers on their defense, two of their defensive leaders, you know, with them both being seniors. Uh, this is this is a big deal for Miami. It's an even bigger deal for the people that have picked Miami to win the Coastal Division. Um, I thought that was kind of overrated from the start, but I think this is something that really, you know, really will hurt them here down the line. And to, and to lose them right before the start of the season, obviously, is, is two big losses on that defensive front. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how Miami copes. I know Manny Diaz will have a couple of things up his sleeve as far as how he's going to replace them, but we'll just have to see how it ultimately pans out when we get on the field. I think if there's a silver lining to this, maybe it's that with with new starters in both of those positions in the front seven now, Miami's going to have a little bit of a ramp-up period. They start 
with Florida A&M and then Florida Atlantic at home the first two weekends of September. Two barn they burners travel. there, Joey. Yeah, yeah, that'll – it's a little bit of a warm-up, you could say. Uh, they travel to Appalachian State the week after that, and then they travel to Georgia Tech two weeks later after a bye week, and then they face Florida State the second weekend in October. So there's a little bit of a ramp-up period there for guys to get used to being on the field and, and kind of – the speed of the game that they're going to be seeing before really taking on the heavy hitters. But that is, again, that is a huge loss for Miami. I should mention that uh, Muhammad is not actually was going to be a senior. He was going to be a junior. Uh, we should also probably mention that this was related to uh, an incident where both of them were, I believe, getting rented uh, luxury cars for either reduced prices or for free. So it's all, it's all based on NCAA rules violations, and I know a lot of Miami fans are really angry that this is kind of a boneheaded thing, and these guys have really damaged their team and their, and their season from doing this. So going to be very curious to see how this affects the team throughout the year. Yeah, and it's those NCAA rules that you know, a lot of people are quick to, you know, quick to judge, and, and I get it, because you get a situation like the wrestler from Ohio State that just won gold at the Olympics. He gets his cash prize as well, right? He gets And he gets to keep the money under NCAA rules because of some weird uh, de facto clause that, oh, you can win, you know, it's you're not necessarily a professional, so you can keep the cash, and it doesn't violate the amateur, the amateur clause and the NCAA rules. I mean, it's just crazy. So there are a lot of obscure rules within, you know, within recruiting and within, you know, improper benefits and a lot of obscure stuff with the NCAA but one thing's clear you can't accept gifts of that caliber um, luxury cars I mean haven't we learned enough from the Reggie Bush stuff years back um, with all the stuff he went through with uh, impermissible benefits uh, this is a thing for Miami especially you can't have happen uh, they've had a lot of issues with violations in the past recruiting or otherwise and this is extremely bonehead and something that you know Grace and Muhammad both should have known better. Absolutely, not a, not a, not a question. And I think it's kind of telling when a lot of these Miami fans are not looking at the NCAA as so many of us are want to do in a lot of these cases, where we we look at the NCAA and we say, "How dare you kind of bring down this punishment? That's not fair." Instead, the Miami fans are looking right at these two players, saying, "What on earth were you thinking?" Um, so. Again, we'll see how this thing kind of affects the Miami defense throughout the year. The other piece of news that we had to get to tonight was up at Duke where uh, rising redshirt senior quarterback Thomas Sirk was returning from a blown Achilles he suffered back in the spring. His status going into the year was a little bit up in the air. We weren't really sure if he was going to make it back or not or if he was going to miss the first few games or kind of what that was. And then the news came down this week, Mike, that he has – re-injured his Achilles, and he will be missing the entire 2016 season, which so is really bad news for Duke. And I was going to say, so that's now the third torn Achilles that he's had in the last, what is it, two or three years. Um, very tough news for Duke. They were heading into the season with Parker Bame as a quarterback anyway, but now it's going to be his job for the entire year. So while it's not good that Sirk has you know, re-injured his Achilles and you know, unless he'll probably, you know, opt to try to take a medical red shirt. But if that's not granted, this is probably it for him at Duke, which is unfortunate because you don't want to see anybody, you know, endure a, a career-ending injury like he, like he has here. But 
you know, for Duke, I guess it's a, a little bit, you know, if you want to look at the silver lining, it's kind of a good thing with Parker Bame now. He knows he's going to be a starter all year long. He knows he's going to be the guy. So he can tight, kind of take the quarterback position by the horns and um, try to make the best out of the situation. And, you know, he was going to be a starter anyway, but now you don't deal with the uncertainty of Thomas Sirks coming back because it's still my starting job. So, you know, maybe this helps him to perform a little bit better, but we'll just have to see. Yeah, that's a pretty brutal injury, too, that – that we're talking about here that that is not pleasant at all and like you said the third one that Cirque has now faced no idea what kind of toll that's going to take on on the offense but ultimately I mean you hate it for the guy that's that is tough to have your career ended that way if that is indeed the case as you mentioned he, he's missed a year of football before for a torn Achilles so this being his second means there's a chance that he could kind of get a medical redshirt from the NCAA and come back as a sixth year senior next year but the question is, does he even want to? And if he does, is there a spot there for him once Parker Bame spends a whole year as the starter here? So a situation to monitor up in Duke, up at Duke in Durham, uh, kind of what happens to the quarterback situation, how does Parker Bame turn out? As a sophomore last year, 10 games, 43 for 78, uh, two touchdowns, one pick, 579 yards. So nothing too overly dangerous or kind of worrisome for a lot of opponents, but uh, – very possible we see some good development from him going into his junior year. And if Duke wants to have any success moving forward, they're going to have to hope that Parker Bame steps in and, you know, becomes the quarterback that they're hoping to become because, you know, there could be a situation here down the line where if Parker Bame doesn't perform well, Duke's really struggling, kind of spinning the wheels as far as who's the quarterback, you know, who the quarterback will eventually be moving forward. Before, you know, you could look at Parker Bame and say, okay, well, if he doesn't play well, at least we might have Thomas Sirk here later in the season, but that luxury is now gone, so it's going to be interesting to see how Duke how Duke performs at the quarterback position moving forward. Yeah, should be a, an interesting year up in Durham again with a very tough schedule ahead of them and now a brand-new quarterback that's going to officially have the helms uh, from the start from the get-go, so... Mike, let's move on. We got some listener questions still from a couple weeks ago that we need to get to. Uh, once again, these all came from uh, listeners at from the Rumble Seat, uh, the blog that I write for in the SB Nation Network. But as always, we want to encourage you, if you're listening to this podcast and you're a fan of any other team in the ACC, please, please reach out to Mike and I and, and let us know what questions you have you want to hear us talk about on this podcast. And you'll see as we go through these today that they are – pretty varying in nature so don't be afraid to ask us about food preferences or any you know weird stories we might have or anything else but uh, if you want to ask us questions please send us an email basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com or hit us on twitter I'm at FTRS Joey he's at Mike McDaniel ACC and we are at BC Podcast ACC but the first listener question we have tonight comes from again from the Rumble C user Intrect and he simply asks ACC uniform power rankings. And so, Mike, I don't want to go through all of these, but I think maybe we can give a top three and then a bottom three. I think they might get a little, a little jumbled in the middle, but uh, I guess I can go ahead and start out here. So top three uniforms, I'd have to say, uh, one of the ones that I really like that sticks out to me is Clemson. Uh, I think that they've got a really great look with the, the orange jerseys and, and the white pants. I think that's a classic look, especially with the orange helmet. Uh, the other one I really like, I've always loved the powder blue up at UNC. I think that's a great look as well, especially in the last couple of years they've added the, what is it, the checkered kind of, what's that What's that pattern called? Plaid? No, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I know it, no, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I don't know the, the correct description for it. But 
No, yeah. I, I'm on board with you as far as North Carolina's uniforms are pretty sweet. I like those, and then if I had to pick a third one, I'm going to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a homer here. I really like the Georgia Tech uniforms. They're, there's a pretty classic look to them, at least from a, I guess, a design standpoint. Although that doesn't always, uh, that doesn't always resonate with all the recruits. Is uh, you might have recognized from a, a recent article I wrote over at the site. But Mike, who are your, who are your top three uh, uniforms in the ACC? So. There's one uniform I really like that Miami wears, where it's like the all black. I think those are sweet. Um, they don't wear them very often, but when when they when they go with the all black, the black helmet and the Miami logo on the side, that those are pretty sick. Um, I'm with you on North Carolina's uniforms. I think they're really sweet. I just love the powder blue and white. I mean, I think that's a great look for them. Um, Virginia Tech, I, I like their uniforms, but I wouldn't necessarily put them in my top three. But I, I like the different combinations I go with. I like the white and the orange and like the classic like old Virginia Tech logo. Um, so I like I like those uniforms. I don't know if I'd put them in my top three though because I'm with you on Clemson. Clemson's definitely in my top three as far as uniforms are concerned. I'm I'm all in on the classic orange and white look. I think it's one of the best jerseys. If you're looking for just like classic run-in-the-mill college football jerseys, I think Clemson's are right up there with the orange and white. I'm just a real, real big fan of those uniforms. Yeah, some good looks there. So if we had to talk about bottom three, I don't know how much I really want to pick any any team's base uniforms in the bottom three because none of them really stick out to me as like particularly bad. Uh, if, if I had to pick one that maybe stuck out as kind of bad would maybe be Syracuse. Uh, sorry, Syracuse fans. But um, I, those, those uniforms are just not very inspiring, not good looking to me, I, I don't think. Uh, if I had to pick two more that I really did not like, one of these is going to be very surprising. It's Louisville's alternates from last year that they opened the season in. Had a big silver L on the side and like a murder cardinal thing on the other side, and the the numbers were all messy, and the the names on the back were in like a cursive old school English font. I mean, they were they were kind of a mess. So, not a big fan of those uniforms at all. If I had to pick another one. And I actually am going to go for a base uniform here. It's Wake Forest. Wake Forest uniforms. Sorry, Wake fans. Again, we we'll say nice things about you someday. Um, the just the the black and the gold. It just nothing sticks out, and it's just I don't know. There's just not a whole lot of interesting about it to me, Mike. Am I being too harsh here? You're not, because the base uniforms that I don't really like are NC State's. I mean, they the red and the white. I I'm just not a huge fan um, of their base uniforms. Um, I agree with you. Those Louisville uniforms, those alternate jerseys, I thought the jerseys were actually kind of sweet, but I'm with you with the helmets. The weird L thing that they had going on, those were extremely ugly. I mean, I think you could have capped off the uniform a little bit better than that. Um, and I don't want to be the fashion police. Syracuse and Virginia, I, I'm not a huge fan of that blue and orange. The reason I lumped them both together is their colors are very similar. Um, their shades of blue are a little bit different, I think, but... Their uniforms are both very similar. I'm not a huge fan, although the one thing I do like about Virginia's uniforms at times, and I know this is shocking as a Virginia Tech fan, I'm complimenting their uniforms. They do have those those orange helmets with the black Virginia logo on the side. I think I'm a huge fan of those helmets. I think they really stick out. I think they're pretty cool looking, but um, I'm just not a huge fan of the blue and orange combination there um, with Virginia and Syracuse. Those throwbacks at Virginia are pretty sweet, although the the orange helmet, orange top that they sometimes go with is, man, that is not a sight for sore eyes. It's, it's got to be a blue top there. 
um, at, with with the orange helmet, in my opinion. But I, I'm not a huge fan of the orange on orange there either. So there's some uh, there's some questionable alternate looks in the ACC, I think for sure. But I, I also think that a lot of the just the base looks are pretty good. So uh, thanks for the question, Interact. Um, we'll move on to the next one. So, Mike, this is a little bit of kind of digging into our capabilities personally. So this is also from Intrax, same, same user, and he asks, what position do you feel the most qualified to evaluate? Why is it that position, and which ACC guys are your favorites at that spot? And then how do they stack up nationally? So several parts here, but I think just overall, who do you feel most comfortable evaluating, and who's some of the best in the, in the conference at that position? Well, I played high school football. Um, I, p- I played a lot of receiver, and I played some defensive back as well. Um, but if there's one position I feel most qualified to evaluate, I feel like it's the receiver position. And I'm not going to pretend like I'm a complete expert at evaluating. Um, but, you know, when watching, you know, players on film and, and stuff like that, and watching them, you know, in real, real time during the game, I, I come to have kind of an appreciation for how they go about um, – getting off press coverage and the footwork they use, um, their explosive first step, and how they go about kind of losing guys right off the line of scrimmage. Um, all that stuff matters to me because playing football in high school, it's, you know, there, there have been times where it's been really difficult, in my opinion, when you, especially when you get a bigger defender on you, you know, to beat press coverage. So I have appreciation for how they do that. Um, as far as which ACC guys are my favorites at that spot, um, I played both on the line of scrimmage and off. I played a lot more slot receiver when I was a senior. Um, so as far as favorite ACC guys, I mean, as a Virginia Tech fan, I really love Isaiah Ford as a player. He stacks up pretty well nationally. He's been, you know, preseason all ACC. He's been on some watch list for, you know, All-American and stuff like that. I know watch lists don't really matter at this stage of the game, but um, I think he stacks up well, uh, pretty well nationally. Another guy I really enjoy watching is Ryan Switzer at North Carolina, just because out of the slot. I mean, I think he's one of the premier slot receivers in the entire country. Uh, definitely one of the top in the ACC. Um, I just, you know, he's not he's not real big, but he's extremely quick. Uh, he's fast. He's got great footwork. So I really enjoy watching him play in the middle of the field. Uh, and then one other guy, Mike Williams at Clemson. I know he kind of sat out last year uh, due to the you know neck injury he had, but. Looks like he's going to be healthy hanging to this year. Hopefully he's what he was before because he was one of the top receivers in the country. And he's a guy that I kind of envy because he, you know, as big as he is being like a six foot four receiver, I'm obviously not six foot four. I'm, I'm for those of you listening, I'm, I'm just under five ten. So uh, I have an appreciation for those bigger receivers and go up and catch a jump ball. So that's really impressive to me as well. And I think Mike Williams, when he's healthy, does it as well as any receiver in the country. So uh, those are guys in the ACC that I think all all three of those guys I mentioned stack up really well nationally as well, um, without naming like a top five list or anything like that. But they're all up there as far as like top ten, top fifteen receivers, depending on what you're looking for as far as a deep threat or a slot guy. There's a ton of returning talent in the ACC as well, especially in the Atlantic Division. Some really big guys and some really talented guys between uh, Louisville, Clemson, and Florida State. So. Lots of good wide receivers to watch this year in the ACC. If I had to pick one myself, I'd probably go with running back. And the uninspirational reason for why is that I've only played one season of football in my life, and that was fifth grade. Um, unfortunately, the coach kind of ruined it for me, and I, I regret that. I wish I'd played into high school and such so I could kind of have a more you know thorough understanding of watching film and things like this. But I, I think it's 
for me, it's easiest to evaluate the running back position just because there's a there's a good cross section of things that they're asked to do between running between the tackles, running behind zone blocking on the outside, catching the football, blocking in the passing game, different things like this. And I think you see enough of them that it's just you, it's kind of easy to see what they're being asked to do, basically. And so I think that that's the easiest thing to evaluate if it's me. Um, a lot of times it's pretty clear what their assignments are as well, whereas you know with a quarterback you got to read your progressions, which we have no idea what's called. Offensive linemen, you have no idea what's being asked of them. Uh, the defensive side of the ball, there's all sorts of, you know, it's, it's tough to see the all-22 sometimes to where you can kind of figure out who's playing zone, who's playing man, etc. So um, I, I, I like the running back position as far as an evaluation standpoint. And from, a, from I guess, looking at the whole conference, uh, obviously James Conner comes back, ACC Player of the Year a couple years ago. Dalvin Cook, uh, a perennial Heisman contender down at Florida State, he comes back. Uh, Elijah Hood up at North Carolina, who I think doesn't get enough attention for as good as he is. Uh, obviously Trayvon McMillan at Virginia Tech, Quadri Allison at Pittsburgh as well. The guy that gets way more, uh, I guess, way more hype than I particularly think he deserves is uh, Wayne Gallman, although he went for 1,500 yards on 280 carries last year at Clemson, so he, he more than carried the load for a team that finished out as Nationals runners-up. So a lot of talent to like in the ACC running back as well. Uh, if I give you a little bit of a homer pick here, again, at Georgia Tech would be uh, Marcus Marshall, younger brother of Keith Marshall, who just came out of Georgia. Um, a guy could potentially break out this year, but um, I, I'll just be honest with you and tell you that I, I'm not like fully 100% qualified to be uh, to be rating guys based on film and stuff. I just I don't I never had that much experience myself, so uh, I'll, I'll be real with you here on this podcast. Yeah, we're not sitting here evaluating talent. Uh you know, for college or for the NFL or otherwise, but we'll sit there and we'll critique them. Uh, but we can't say, oh, yeah, you know, surefire first-round pick any more than any of them can, I guess. So, um, you know, we did our best there, Joey. Absolutely. That's, that's what I promise I will do for you every week is my best. Whether that's good enough is up for the listeners to decide. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, again, Intrek, thank you for the questions. Those were great. We'll move on. Uh, next question from Uncivil Engineer, which is the story of my life. Um, Uncivil Engineer asks, what's the most overrated song to come out in the last few years? So I'm going to take this one and give you songs that come on the radio that kind of make my ears bleed, that just I can't, I can't tolerate. And that's one of them that it, it was from actually about five years ago that it came out, but it just started hitting it big on the radio uh, here in the last maybe year or so was that song Somebody That I Used to Know by Got Ye or Hate Got It. Ye or... I absolutely hate it. Man, that is it's the, it's those it's those songs that like stick in your head and that you're like a prisoner to your own thoughts that it just won't go away. Make your ears bleed and they're on the radio all the time and you know. Man, it's and just I think not good. The other one along those lines for me was freaking Love Yourself by Justin Bieber. Again, came out 2014, but anytime it would come on the radio, it was like I could not change the station fast enough. And there was definitely a point where uh, myself and my wife used to get in the car for you know a few months, and like eventually I was just driven crazy because we couldn't get in the car and turn on the radio without hearing that song. Yep. It drove me insane. 
Yeah, well, for me, Joey, um, it's basically anything by Taylor Swift. Just any song. Just the worst. Um, more so. God, man, it's just terrible. Um, they, the thing about Taylor Swift, and for any of you listeners that like Taylor Swift, I apologize. Um, you know, I'll bag on your teams all year. I can promise you that. But I'm also going to bag on your music selection because Taylor Swift, she's on the radio every 35 seconds, and I want to just take my radio unit out of my car and chuck it. I just wish they would play different stuff. And it's just like, I feel like every other song on the radio right now is by Taylor Swift. Shake It Off, Can't Stand It. Um, Want to Jump Out the Window. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, for those, those of you who have you know listened to this podcast before, you know I'm from the D.C. metro area. I'm driving through traffic and doing all this crap every day for work. And when Shake It Off comes on the radio and I'm sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic trying to get to work and I'm late for a meeting, there's nothing worse that could possibly happen to me at that very moment than listening to Taylor Swift. So that's where I'm at with it, Joey. Maybe that was a little bit of an over-exaggeration, but that's where I'm at. Taylor Swift, can't stand her. Any of her music, can't do it. Shut shut it down. Um, so that's where I'm at. So if you had to listen to a Taylor Swift song or get struck by lightning, it's a pretty clear choice then. It's a very clear choice. It's being struck by lightning 10 out of 10 times. <laughs> the thing that kills me about her that seemingly nobody has noticed and nobody has ever really like brought up is she's totally changed her style from when she broke onto the music scene. She used to be like a legit country artist, and now she's just this like whiny pop stuff. I don't even know how to describe it. It's awful. And she was also too good for Spotify. I don't know if you're a Spotify user, Joey, but apparently she, like, wouldn't give her music to Spotify or wouldn't, like, give them the rights to her music because she said that nothing that she creates should be free. Like, you shouldn't be able to listen to her stuff for free. Which, get off your freaking high horse because you're one of the few artists not on Spotify, um, you know, being able to you know, be listened to regularly. And that's not a complaint for me because I wouldn't listen to Taylor Swift, but there are a lot of whoa, people whoa, whoa, that whoa, I know, whoa. a lot of people that I know, Joey, that listen to Taylor Swift and were really irritated by that. And I hated her anyway, and that was just another reason to, you know, just kind of kick her to the side. See, Mike, I think we're getting somewhere now. I think we're starting to learn why you're just, not about Taylor Swift. You peel back the layers and all of a sudden I was trying to find her on Spotify. It just didn't happen for me. Yeah, I think so. that I think that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Well. Anyway. So if we ever come up with like a legit music intro to the show, we know the first song to kind of attempt. I don't know if Mike <laughs> will stay around for the rest of the show after that, but time will tell. Yeah, we'll see what happens here. All right. Anyways, so let's move on. Thanks again for the question, Uncivil Engineer. We have one more from you, and this is really a great lead-in to the rest of our show. So Uncivil Engineer asks. If you're a betting man, who are you putting your money on to win for week one in Power 5 games involving ACC members? Thank you for the perfect segue, Uncivil Engineer. Keep on keeping on. Mike, we got to get into week one games, and it is, we've waited way too long in this podcast to do that. Um, we got real football to talk about, so let's talk about it. Um, I want to start off by saying that there are, there are kind of four marquee games in the league this week. Um, Georgia Tech and Boston College, North Carolina and Georgia, Clemson and Auburn, and Florida State and Ole Miss. 
And before we dig into those, let's real quickly just run through all the others. Uh, there's a lot of kind of really kind of cupcake games this week as far as, you know, ACC teams playing uh, FCS teams and a couple where we have ACC teams playing a couple of probably the worst teams in the FBS. Ever so, assembled, really. Just Yeah. <laughs> Lucky well, to be on the same field. Um, yeah. So... Real quickly, uh, Louisville, 39.5-point favorite at home uh, against Charlotte on Thursday at 7. Uh, Wake Forest, a 16-point favorite at home. Get a snippet of that so we can like replay me saying that. Uh, Wake Forest, a 16-point favorite at home against Tulane at home, also at 7 o'clock on Thursday. NC State at home against William & Mary at 7.30. We'll point out now that in these games where they're playing against FCS teams, there are no odds on them, there are no spreads, there's no totals. Syracuse against Colgate at home on Friday at 7 p.m. Virginia Tech at home against Liberty at 12.30 on Saturday. Pittsburgh, Villanova at Pittsburgh on, on Saturday at 1.30. Virginia at home against Richmond, 3.30 Saturday. Duke against NC Central, home at uh, 6 o'clock on Saturday. Miami at home against Florida A&M, 6 o'clock on Saturday. So of all of these, these are all pretty cupcake games. You have to think that the ACC is going undefeated in them, but if you had to pick one that somebody should be on a little more alert than maybe most people think they should, who you got, Mike? Any thoughts? Wake Forest against Tulane, um, because Wake Forest is a terrible football team. So, sorry, sorry for all the fans of Wake Forest. Um, you're only a 16-point favorite against Tulane, who's probably one of the worst teams in the FBS, Joey. I, I think you could probably agree with Tulane being in the conversation if you had to pick five teams. Um, and if not only in the conversation, they're probably right right near the top of the list. Um, with that being said, though, Wake Forest is nothing to write home about either. Uh, but I think I think John Walford and company will, you know, have enough in the tank to win that football game. They have Cam Serenay at tight end, and I think you know if you're picking one guy out on Wake Forest that could kind of take over a game for you on offense, Serenay would be it. And I don't know a ton about Tulane, but I know that they're not very good, so they're going to have issues covering Serenay. Um, and for that reason, I think Wake Forest is going to win that game. But if I had to pick, you know, one game out of the bunch that you just mentioned, um, Wake Forest would be the would be the team because their offense is not very good, um, and they're playing an FBS opponent in Tulane, which can't be said for a lot of the other games on the slate here that you just mentioned. Um, most of them are FCS teams, so. Um, I would say Wake Forest needs to be on lookout against Tulane just because you're playing an FBS program. But um, 16 points, that's a lot to cover. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I'd pick them to cover. But, you know, Demon Deacons will probably win that game. But I guess if there were one uh, one game out of the group that you mentioned that might be a loss, I guess it would be Wake Forest. I'm right there with you. I think Villanova is one of the better teams in the FCS. I think Richmond's one of the better teams in the FCS. But I don't think either of them is giving Pittsburgh or Virginia any problems. For me, again, it is it is also Tulane. And one of the other things I think worth noting here is that Tulane's under new head coach Willie Fritz, who was hired off of Georgia Southern and previously of Sam Houston State, who's had a lot of success between those two programs. And so I, I think there's every reason to think that give it a couple of years and Tulane is going to be a lot better. And he also runs an offense that is pretty easy to run and is very effective at getting his skill position players into open space. And... I think just for that reason alone, nobody has any expectations for Tulane this year, and yet there's a chance you could see him do something. And so I think that's that's one that you kind of got to watch out for, is that Tulane could be a little bit better than we think they are, 
and that new offense under Willie Fritz could end up giving Wake Forest some problems. But, again, overall I think the expectation has to be the ACC goes undefeated in that whole slate uh, just because there's, there's really not a whole lot of, of any opponent that, that should be anywhere near evenly matched. And we could, you know, we wish we could break this down a little bit more as far as these games are concerned. But, you know, I'm sure you listeners don't care, you know, unless even if it's your team. I mean, I'm sure you guys don't really care about this game any, or, you know, your given game any more than we do, honestly. Um, you know, Syracuse and Colgate, the Syracuse fans don't even care about it, honestly. So, um, you know, hopefully the ACC goes undefeated, you know, within that slate and they can move on to week two. Yeah, there's only so much there can be talked about with those games. There are a few that we do need to talk to, talk about, though, in some certain set of uh, sense of length. Let's start with game number one, 7.30 a.m. Eastern time, 12.30 p.m. local time from Dublin, Ireland. The Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets open the season against the Boston College Eagles. Georgia Tech a three-point favorite, over-under is 44, so kind of expecting a low-scoring, close game here. This sets up as an interesting matchup, Mike, because we really don't know what to expect from Georgia Tech at this point with this season. And this has all sorts of potential to be a low-scoring, ugly, weird game, if you ask me. And you'll be front and center for it, Joey, there in Dublin. I will be live and in attendance. Yeah, that's that's very cool, uh, regardless of what happens. I mean, obviously, you know, hopefully... Georgia Tech wins that game for you, but, um, you know, going all that way, but the experience is going to be incredible there. Um, yeah, I, you know, I'm with you. Georgia Tech, we don't know a ton about them heading into the season. Obviously, they're replacing a lot of guys on defense, which we knew going in. Um, Boston College, Scott Leffler now running the show on offense means absolutely nothing to me as a Virginia Tech fan because I know how hot and cold he was. So I don't think that's really an X factor. It's like, okay, Boston College has this new offense. All of a sudden, the whole thing's revolutionized. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, I, I think the one thing we need to watch about Boston College this year is, you know, their defense was statistically the best defense in college football last year. Um, and, and, you know, watching them, it, it was pretty easy to see how good they were, especially against the run. Uh you know some of the reason why they're ranked as high as highly as they were, and I know they play in the Atlantic Division. They do get Florida State and Clemson. Uh, they do play Louisville, but Florida State's offense wasn't as good last year as we're expecting it to be this year. So that's one thing to take into consideration. So really, the two toughest offenses you're playing on your schedule, you know, were Clemson and Louisville, um, and, and Boston College. I think you know their their defense statistically. Some of it had to do with the caliber of schedule that they played last year and the caliber of offenses they went up against. And that's not to take away from them as a unit completely because they were a good defense. But were they really the top defense in the country? I mean, I think that's kind of up for debate. So I think it's reasonable um, if you're, you know, Boston College fan or not. I, you know, I'm, I don't know if you're necessarily going to agree with me on this. But I think it's reasonable to think that Boston College could take a step back on defense. And they are losing, you know, some of their starters there. Uh, especially in the front seven. And that's something to really watch for in this game, especially when you have a Georgia Tech offense that runs the option at their best um, as efficiently as they do. So that's really, you know, the key to the game for me is, you know, whether or not that front seven of Boston College is going to be able to compete at a high enough level to slow down Georgia Tech's option offense, which for much of last year was a struggle, Joey, as you very well know. So it's going to be an interesting game to watch. I could see it going one of two ways. Either it's 
you know, a real ugly game where you get down to it and neither team's putting up a lot of points, or it could be a game where Georgia Tech looks like, you know, we're expecting them to, you know, getting back to how they've been over the last few seasons, you know, last year notwithstanding, where they're able to really run the ball at a high rate. And if they're able to run on Boston College, it's going to be a long game for the Eagles because I don't think they have the offense to compete with Georgia Tech when Georgia Tech's performing at their best. So it could either be really close or I think Georgia Tech can, can run away with this thing in the second half. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens, but I think that's the one matchup within the game that I'm looking forward to watching. And that's the biggest wild card of this whole thing is what we're going to get from Boston College's defense. Uh, they lose four starters, three in the front seven, which is really not anything that they can't overcome. And I, I kind of disagree. I mean, even in games last year where they went up against some really good offenses, teams like Notre Dame, they only gave up 19 points to Notre Dame. Um, I mean, they kind of played really close with some really good offenses, only 17 points to Louisville, um, only three points to Wake Forest. Uh, they lost. Uh, but so it's, you know, good defense on that side of the ball. The, the biggest thing is, again, they lose some of their very best players, uh, one of the best players in the secondary, one of the best players in the linebackers, two of the best defensive linemen. But they also lose their defensive coordinator, Don Brown. Uh, he goes over to Michigan with Jim Harbaugh. He's replaced by former Boston College defensive coordinator and most recently the Iowa linebackers coach, Jim Reed. I, I was listening to some guys over at BC Interruption, the Boston College blog uh, at SB Nation, and I was actually on their podcast earlier tonight, but they were talking about how uh, they basically forced Jim Reed to kind of learn Don Brown's system and kind of adapt to his terminology and kind of what he was doing, which is a little bit of a weird strategy and kind of makes you question maybe a little bit if you're Don, if you're Jim Reed of like, well, why'd they hire me? But at some point, push comes to shove and you got to have a defensive coordinator, I guess. But that's, that's kind of a wild card. And also, this is one of these things where he's going to be going up against Georgia Tech's very unique offense. And as much as coordinators seeing it two, three, four times really tends to help, a lot of coordinators seeing it for the first time have had a lot of problems defending it. Uh, one of the ones that comes to mind is Mississippi State in the Orange Bowl in 2014. Had a really good defense, really good front seven, and Georgia Tech, Georgia Tech ran wild on them. So I think the biggest thing for me, too, for Boston College is that I don't know what their identity is going to look like on offense. Uh, they got the transfer. Patrick Tolles came in at, uh, at quarterback from Kentucky. There's not a whole lot of obvious, you know, is he going to be the starter or are they going to go with somebody else? Uh, Toll's not very mobile, whereas other quarterbacks are. Running Adazio's offense as we know it, that would be a big problem. But if they go with somebody else, who knows? Um, so, not really sure what to expect. Obviously, Boston College's offense had a lot of problems in 2015. So, we're just going to have to see. I mean, I think that the biggest thing for Georgia Tech is going to be hitting a few big plays here and there. Catching Boston College's defense out of position. If they can do that and get some easy points, maybe a couple of easy touchdowns, I think that Georgia Tech's defense is not necessarily great, but good enough to contain Boston College's offense. Yeah, I'm, I'm on board with you. And, and Boston College's offense, I mean, like you said, we don't really know what they got. And I'm not confident enough in BC, especially on the offensive side of the football, to think that if Georgia Tech scores three or four touchdowns in this game, they'll be able to keep up. Um, not at the rate I've seen Georgia Tech's offense run in the past, you know, and as well as they're going, you know, when that option attacks at their best. 
I just have a hard time seeing Boston College keeping up with it. I don't care who the quarterback is. And it'll be interesting to see if Scott Leffler brings anything to the table. Um, as far And I'm not trying to just destroy Scott Leffler here. But I'm interested to see if he, you know, what he brings to the table as far as the guys they already have in place there and whether or not his scheme is going to work with the players they have in year one. And I'm not sure it's necessarily going to. I mean, this, this was, you know, historically, the last few years at least, you know, a power-rushing team with an inadequate quarterback. And if Patrick Tolles ends up being quarterback, I mean, that's fine, but he's not going to light the world on fire necessarily either. And I'm not sure they have the playmakers right now in place to run the offense that Scott Leffler wants to run. So, you know, does the unit they have in place fit the scheme? I'm not sure that it does. And for that reason, I like Georgia Tech to win the football game. I'm right there with you. I think this is a low-scoring, kind of close game. I think Georgia Tech wins it maybe 24-16 or something like that. Um, so, But certainly one to watch. I think we might learn quite a bit about both teams through the course of this game. Because, again, as, as many people have said, nobody really knows what to expect from Georgia Tech this year. And that I'm right there with you. I have no you know, special secrets or anything that, you know, surprise, they're actually going to be really good or bad. Like, I have no idea either. So... Uh, only time will tell. But So both of us have Georgia Tech beating Boston College, and uh, that would make me a very happy man for the rest of my trip. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's move on. Uh, the next one happens at 5.30 p.m. on Saturday in Atlanta, Georgia. This is the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. The North Carolina Tar Heels, number 22, take on the number 18 Georgia Bulldogs in what I think has potential to be a very entertaining and kind of intriguing matchup, Mike. Yeah, this is a really interesting game heading into it. Um, Number one, and I'm going to talk just kind of off the cuff here with Georgia and what I know about Georgia. They come in as number 18 in the country. Nick Chubb, obviously a fantastic running back. They have Sonny Michelle as well right behind him. One of the best duos at running back in the entire country. We don't know as of right now, if either of them or both of them, who's going to play, who's going to be healthy enough to go. And that's a big question mark I have with this game. Um, another thing to mention here with lo- when looking at Georgia is the fact that Jacob Eason is starting a quarterback as a true freshman. Um, really interesting. Obviously one of the top recruits in the country. Mark Richt was trying to lure him to Miami after he left. He's one of Mark Richt's recruits when Richt was still uh, with the Georgia Bulldogs, of course. So you're starting a true freshman. You have two running backs that we know are very good, but we don't know if either of them is going to be healthy enough to play. And then, you know, it's the first game in the Kirby Smart era, and when looking at this whole, you know, part of the situation, you go back to spring ball, and, you know, Smart is sitting there talking about, you know, the question marks they have in the front seven with, you know, their effort and their talent level up front is unquestioned, but... Are they going to be able to be as good as they were last year when they were one of the top defenses in the entire country? And if the front seven's not very good, doesn't get a good pass rush on Mitch Trubisky, it could be a long game for Georgia, especially if Chubb and or Sonny Michelle is not playing. And, and, you know, another part of that is with Jacob Eason, is he going to be eased into the role here at quarterback? Is he going to lean on that running game? I anticipate that if one of those guys is healthy, they're going to give the ball to them a ton and kind of ease Jacob Eason in, but they must be confident in him enough at starting quarterback that they think he's, you know, good enough to win a game in a neutral site against a very good North Carolina team. So more questions than answers with Georgia, even though I do think they're a very talented team and they should be pretty good this year. 
Um, I, I'm not sure to what degree they'll necessarily compete in the SEC. I think they might be overrated a little bit, but I think a lot of it has to do with the play, obviously, of Jacob Eason heading into the opener throughout the rest of the season because we know the running game when healthy is going to be very good. Um, as for North Carolina, there are really no question marks on offense, um, in my opinion. Um, some people might say, oh, you know, Mitch Trubisky, a new quarterback, he's a question mark. I've seen enough of Mitch Trubisky at this point um, coming in in relief and, and playing a little bit when Marquise Williams was on the sideline that – you know, I know what we got in Mitch Trubisky. I mean, I think he's a very good quarterback for North Carolina, and uh, you know, I think that his skill set's just going to be um, on greater display now that he's a full-time starter. Um, running back Elijah Hood, extremely underrated. Everybody forget, seems to forget about him as far as you know, ranking kind of the top running backs in the country. He's right up there. I mean, he's definitely top seven or eight running back in my opinion. Um, they, they got the great receiving core. They got Matt Collins, Bug Howard, of course, Ryan Switzer in the slot. The question with North Carolina is and has been for the last few years how well their defense is going to play. And that's, you know, kind of where the element of, you know, how good is Georgia going to be on offense kind of comes into play because, you know, we saw North Carolina take strides last year on defense, you know, going from a bad unit two years ago to a mediocre unit. Now are they ready to make the next step to become a above-average unit in the ACC? And if they are... I think North Carolina is as good as any team in the conference. They're a team that can go up and can play with a Florida State or with a Clemson and, and hang in there and not necessarily win, but they'll be right in the conversation, right in the mix at the end of the game. So uh, more questions and answers with both teams at this point, but if there's one thing for certain, it's that North Carolina is absolutely loaded on the offensive side of the ball. And all things being equal, you know, it, it's pretty tough to count out North Carolina when they can score like we've seen them score here over the past couple of seasons, especially last year. Oh, man, I just I don't know what to think. I, I can't think that North Carolina's defense is going to be anything super special, and not for a lack of talent. They've recruited pretty well on that side of the ball. It's just that we've never really seen that turn into anything particularly impressive. And I think you consider that that's going up against the vaunted rushing attack of Georgia, like you mentioned, with Nick Chubb, who I think is arguably the best running back in the country. Then you've got also Sonny Michelle spelling him. Man, that how on earth is UNC going to keep Georgia off the scoreboard, and how on earth is that defense going to get off the field? I mean, ultimately, all you got to do to beat Georgia in this game is stop the run. But that's, that's also the problem. Is I don't know that UNC can do that. Have they done? I mean, they haven't done that to date necessarily. Um, they they couldn't do it last year, even when they were, you know, a mediocre defense. Um, that was, you know, they were having issues in the past. They kind of remedied those a little bit last year, but they were having issues against the run last year too. And that's something that never really got fixed, even though the defense was better. Let's see. Last year on defense, rushing yards, North Carolina gave up. 254, 155, 227, 220, 279, 249, 113, 205, 153, 327, 99, 130, 308, 319, and 645. Which equates to one of the worst rushing defenses in the country, just off the top of your head, if you're just looking at those stats blindly. And that's with John Schottmer in the middle of that defense at middle linebacker, which they don't have anymore. Exactly. And, and so... Again, Georgia starting Jacob Eason at quarterback, that doesn't scare me at all. North Carolina can handle him easily in the passing game, especially there seems to be a little bit of a lack of weapons for him on the outside. But again, they, that's the key to this game is if North Carolina can get off the field and stop Georgia's rushing attack. Because if they can't, 
the, the offense is going to sputter at some point against that Georgia defense, which, again, also might be a little overrated, is making up for a lot of losses. Uh, worth mentioning that Georgia's losing six of their top eight defensive linemen and f- their top four linebackers all from last year. I mean, that is a ton of you know talent in your front seven to be trying to replace. Uh, so I, I think that North Carolina is going to be able to score with them. It's just a question of can they ever stop that offense. And I, I just I can't make any promises right now that they can. Yeah, and, you know, that that's what makes this whole prediction aspect of this game so problematic for me. Um, because we don't know who's playing running back for Georgia in this football game yet. It's, as of right now, Sunday night when we're recording this podcast, you know, by the time this podcast comes out here in the next couple of days, we might know. Right now we have no idea who's playing running back for Georgia. And does it matter? I mean... You just told me all I needed to know about North Carolina's rushing defense last year, and we know how bad it was two years ago. So if it's as bad as it has been, it might not matter who's running the ball, Joey. You might be able to run, you know, to run on these guys. And if that's the case, you know, like you said, you know, you can't trust the North Carolina rush defense. And if that's all that George is really going to have to throw at him in this game, George is going to be able to score in North Carolina. And I think in a high-scoring game that's where North Carolina is going to run into some issues because I think when push comes to shove, even though Georgia's lost a ton of talent on their defense, I trust Georgia more to get that stop than I do North Carolina getting the stop on Georgia's offense. And, you know, maybe I'll be proven wrong. It is the opener, but man, oh man. Um, Georgia comes in right now as a three-point favorite. I absolutely would not put any money on this game. Any number of things would happen. Oh, man. I'm going to go with North Carolina, Joey. It's an ACC homer pick. I really love their offense. I don't necessarily love their defense, but maybe I'll be proven wrong. I just I think Jacob Eason's going to be really good for Georgia. I just have a lot of trouble picking Georgia in an opener against a really, really good ACC opponent with a freshman quarterback. And there's so much uncertainty with the running backs right now for Georgia right now. I don't know who's going to be the running back. I'll go with North Carolina. Over-under is 56. I mean, I, you know, that could be shattered potentially. Um, I'll go with the Tar Heels. I hate I hate picking this game. I don't want to pick it. I hate it. I just in no way can trust North Carolina's defense, and I'm terrified about what Georgia's rushing offense is going to do to them. I'm picking North Carolina. I, I, <laughs> Jacob, e- Jacob Eason is going to have at least one freshman moment in this game. North Carolina is going to take advantage and as we said, in the the front seven of Georgia is all sorts of stuff to replace. I think North Carolina is going to be able to, to pull this one out. I, I think it's a fireworks kind of game. I think you're talking about a, a really high final score. And and we'll get into our, our picks of the week a little later, but spoiler alert, mine comes from this game. Um, so I, I'm, I'm with you. This is maybe not the smartest pick I'll ever make, and I'm probably going to end up regretting it here about a week from now, but I think I'm going to take North Carolina. No rhyme or reason. We'll just pick the Tar Heels and move on. I mean, this is... It'll be a very entertaining game to watch, though. It's going to be one of those games this weekend that will, you know, at least I'll be looking forward to watching probably the most. Um, There are a lot of really good games on the slate. This one's right up there. Fireworks, for sure. A lot of offense. Um, But, man, oh, man. Would not want to put my money on this game. Um, Would not want to even come near it, honestly. I mean, this is going to be... It's going to be a barn burner. Set your clocks and set your DVRs for that one because, as you said, that's going to be a fun game to watch. 
Let's move on, Mike. The the last game on Saturday that we got to talk about. Number two, Clemson, returning ACC champs, returning national runners-up. Clemson, they're traveling to Auburn to play at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's a late start uh, for a game on week one, but uh, you'll be staying up anyways. It's fine. Um, Clemson going on the road to take on Auburn. I'm a little surprised. I mean, even on the road, Clemson's a a 7.5-point favorite. Am I wrong to think that Clemson might just totally wipe the table with Auburn in this game? Uh, I don't think so. Um, it, you know, this is a game that can go one of two ways. It's either Auburn's going to hang around um, and, and their offense could be much better than I anticipate or... Pull some Jordan-Hare witchcraft? Right, and, and do the weird things that they do in home games that make no sense, like that kick return against Alabama a few years ago. That's right at the top of the list um, coming to mind. There's just weird stuff that happens in night games at Auburn that it's... I don't know. Um, but, you know, a lot of questions with Auburn's offense. You know, Gus Malzahn, very good coach. Um, you know, I think his offense is very interesting. But they have a pocket passer running the show right now with Sean White, which kind of goes against the grain. And I'm not confident picking Auburn in any game this season because of that, you know, until I'm proven otherwise. Do I think Sean White's a good quarterback? Yeah, I mean, I think he's pretty decent. But he doesn't fit what they're trying to do and they don't have a quarterback on the roster they're confident enough putting the ball in his hands and kind of seeing what he what he'll do and, and trusting him enough not to throw interceptions and fumble and make bad reads and make all the mistakes that you can't make in that offense Clemson I mean I can't speak more highly of Clemson than I always do Deshaun Watson a quarterback I'm probably a little bit higher on Wayne Gallman than you are but I think we can both agree he's he's a pretty good running back um just as far as you know, the rest of the conference goes, there are running backs that are better. Um, receiving core, it's tough to compete with Clemson's receiving core. Um, you got Renfro tight end. You got Arteva Scott and Mike Williams, both fantastic players. Um, defensively, there's some guys that Clemson has to have to replace up front. Obviously, Shaq Loss and Kevin Dodd not being part of the fold anymore. But they have four and five star recruits littering that roster that are ready to step in and play right away, uh, especially right up there in the front seven. Um, Back into secondary, you know, you're replacing Mackenzie Alexander at corner. That shouldn't be a problem. I mean, they have a lot of guys returning on defense that, you know, I think will ease the blow. Um, and Clemson's, you know, faced this issue before where they've had an inexperienced defense and they've become one of the top units in the country and they've recruited well historically there. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. I think this is a game that Clemson could win going away, but it is a little bit more intriguing because it's a road game at Auburn. And that's really the only thing that gives me any sort of pause as I look at this is that's a that's a tough road game playing at night in Jordan-Hare Stadium to kick off your season. But outside of that, I mean, Auburn on offense is a little bit of a mess last year. You had two quarterbacks kind of splitting time as starters, Jeremy Johnson and Sean White, combined for 300 passing attempts and threw 11 touchdowns and 11 interceptions. It's not good. They've lost almost all of their running backs from last year and not even that many from graduation. Most of them were getting kicked off the team and transferring and weird stuff like that. Auburn has honestly been kind of a disappointment to me. I thought that bringing Gus Malzahn in was going to be a a huge move for them. I thought he was going to have a lot of success there. And for whatever reason, it's just not really working out. I, I think for me in this game, Clemson, as much as they bring back on offense, I, I just, I don't think that Auburn has the defense to stop them. And I think Clemson's going to be just fine trying to stop whatever on earth Auburn's offense is going into this year. 
I, I mean, again, the, the thing that gives me pause is it's a road game at Jordan-Hare, and that might cause some, some slip-ups on both sides of the ball for Clemson. But even still, I feel very comfortable with them winning this game, and I, I think a lot of people are a little more skeptical of, of Clemson coming out as the winner than I am. I, I'm very confident in the Tigers here. Yeah, I'm confident in them as well, and you know, to like specify the the Clemson Tigers, right? Yeah, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess we should have, we should have clarified there, huh? Um, yeah, Clemson. Um, I'm confident in Clemson as well. Uh, the fact that it's played at Jordan Hare gives me a little bit more pause than it would normally. I mean, I think Clemson has a much better team. Um, I think Auburn is going to be better this year. Um, they they really struggled last year. I I think they will be better they have been disappointing the last few years especially coming off their national championship appearance now was three three seasons ago um but you know it'll be interesting to see you know how Gus Malzahn kind of adapts this year and how aggressively he coaches we've we've never seen Gus Malzahn necessarily coach conservatively before but I think you know there's even more on the table now this year I think he's definitely on the hot seat fair or not I mean they've you know gone winless in the ACC or ACC the SEC um, and they've had issues, you know, on offensive quarterback, which I think has really curbed their development as a team overall because I think their defense is good enough in the SEC to play with anybody. But, um, yeah, I'm with you. I like Clemson. have to think that if Gus Malzahn gets fired after this year, there's going to be no shortage of teams saying, come on down. Yep, just get the right quarterback in that system, and they'll be just fine. I mean, that's, that's an explosive offense. We've seen it at its best, and it's really difficult to stop. Agreed. We're we're both picking Clemson here, and as far as the the total on the game is sixty one and a half. I kind of like the under on that. I think that there's a chance that Clemson stifles Auburn enough and has maybe a couple of hiccups on offense themselves, and that's a, that's a lot of points. I think that there's a chance that they don't quite get there. So that's something to consider if you're a betting man, which you know some of us are. <laughs> some of us, maybe even both of us. Uh... Who yes, knows? sixty-one and a half is high for that game. I agree, um, but it's an interesting line because if Auburn's offense starts scoring, and Clemson's offense scores like they're capable of, it can also easily be shattered. So it's a very interesting line by Vegas, no doubt. Probably would be easier to project if we were talking about this in like week three of the season, where we kind of knew a little bit more about what we'd get from Auburn. But in any case, both on Clemson here, and we need to move on to our last game. This is your number four Florida State Seminoles taking on number 11, the Ole Miss Rebels, in the world-famous Camping World Kickoff Classic in Orlando, Florida, Mike. And, man, you want to talk about teams that you have no clue what to expect from? I think that might apply a little bit for both teams here because Florida State, obviously, quarterback situation very much in flux. Other than that, fairly stable. Ole Miss replacing a ton of talent and also... Maybe a little bit under the uh, under the gun from the uh, NCAA right now. Yeah, so Ole Miss has all the investigations going on, huge distraction, and we got a lot of questions with Ole Miss because of who they've lost on defense. The fact that their offensive line, they're losing Laramie Tunsil up front. Um, that's a huge loss because of what he was able to do on that offensive line for Ole Miss. I mean, you're seeing now what he was doing. Um, well, we, yeah, we all saw what he was doing. That's why, he, that's why that's why he fell in the draft. But, um, 
as far as a football player and his size and strength and, and what he's able to do on a football field, it's second to none as far as an offensive line prospect was concerned. Um, and, you know, I, I really do think the Rebels are going to miss that. But they do have Chad Kelly, at quarterback, who, you know, is kind of a D-bag, but he's a really good player. Um, he, he's a guy that can kind of take over a game in the SEC, which we don't have many of those quarterbacks anymore. I mean, we had Johnny Manziel, Dak Prescott to a degree, but – we don't have a lot of quarterbacks in the SEC anymore that can completely take over a game, and Chad Kelly is one of those guys that's still left there in the SEC that can really can run, can make plays on his feet, you know, uh, has a very good arm, he's an accurate passer, uh, pretty good player. So that's the one intriguing part about, you know, if you're going to pick Ole Miss in this game, it's like, you know, they got a decent defense, they are losing some talent there, but, you know, they do have Chad Kelly, a quarterback, who might be the great equalizer. Florida State... Loaded on offense, they're much like North Carolina in the fact that they've got playmakers all over the field and a new quarterback, um, but we know a little bit more about Mitch Trubisky than we do about DeAndre Francois. We know nothing about him other than what the coaching staff's told us. Coaching staff's really high on him. Jimbo Fisher, of course, makes the staunch comparison to a certain Heisman Trophy winning quarterback from a few seasons ago. Um, for those of you no playing at deal. home. Yeah, for those of you playing at home, that is Jameis Winston. Um Da, da, da. Um, I was thinking it was Everett Golson. Yeah, God. Uh, or Sean McGuire. I mean, Sean McGuire, I mean, broken foot or not, he might not even be playing in this game anyway, honestly. Um, so they're rolling with DeAndre Francois. They're really high on him. Uh, good player. How good is he? We're going to find out. But they have Dalvin Cook at running back. Push comes to shove in this game. I don't think Ole Miss is going to be able to stop Dalvin Cook. And... I think they'll be able to slow him down. There's not one team last year that actually stopped Dalvin Cook other than when he got injured earlier in the year. Um, he's a guy that carries the team on his back. I think DeAndre Francois will be able to make enough plays with his arm. Um, he doesn't necessarily need to be the greatest quarterback on the field in this game. I do think Chad Kelly will be, end up being the better quarterback on the field in this particular game uh, just because it's the first game for Francois. I don't see him coming out and just completely lighting the lighting the world on fire, but I do think he'll be very good um, come the end of the season. He'll be a guy that Florida State will definitely be able to rely on if they're in the national championship conversation, college football playoff. They'll be there for a reason. Francois will be one of the big reasons why. But the only thing I know about Florida State right now going in that I'm confident in saying is the fact that they have tons of talent at receiver and they got Dalvin Cook at running back, one of the best running backs in the entire country. He's the best running back in the conference for a reason, and I think that it's going to be a close game, but when it comes down to it, I got Florida State because of Dalvin Cook. I think a fun game for sure, and and like you said, there's all sorts of unsure you know, feelings around this game. I think the, the most sure thing on Ole Miss's side is Chad Kelly, former Clemson Tiger. Um, I'm going to leave the whole D-bag comment alone because I might end up making a lot of people really mad with what I uh, add on to that, but Anyways, um, obviously Ole Miss losing some talent on offense. They replaced damn near their whole offensive line, uh, losing a little bit of talent on defense as well. I thought, first of all, on the Ole Miss note, I, I thought that Bill Connolly over at SB Nation made probably one of the best remarks about them is that they are never boring. For some reason, Ole Miss is always interesting in kind of a for better or for worse kind of way of getting really good and then having weird things happen and now they're under NCAA investigation the whole Tunsil draft night debacle happened I mean there's 
there is never a shortage of unique and interesting and weird, crazy things happening in Oxford. So I guess better them than anybody in the ACC for a lot of those reasons. But if I had to pick one thing that I know the most about in this game, it's Dalvin Cook. And that's, that's the thing that I kind of feel comfortable leaning back on and saying, I know that we're, what we're going to get from Dalvin Cook. And so for that reason and that reason alone, I think i got to like Florida State. You gotta you gotta look at two. This is happening in Orlando, which is in Florida. So you figure a little bit of a home game for the Seminoles. Not gonna sit here and tell you that Ole Miss isn't gonna travel well because that would be an unwise thing to say. Because um, they travel extremely well, from what I've heard. I've never seen Ole Miss play in person, but from everything I've heard, they got an extremely passionate fan base. I would be every bit happy and fine with doing an episode of this podcast from the Grove at some point. So. Love you, uh, you and me both, so it's time for a road trip, it sounds like. Let's do it. Um, unfortunately, Orlando is a little different than the Grove, but <laughs> um, also the happiest place on Earth, supposedly. So, anyways. Um, yeah, it sounds like the Grove might actually be the happiest place on Earth, but we'll have to find yeah. out, you know. Yeah. Um, again, two heavyweights in this game. I think it should be a fun game. Plenty of fireworks probably to be had. I like Florida State's skill position talent on offense as you mentioned DeAndre Francois is a totally unknown quality uh, quantity there on their that side of the ball getting maybe some uh, a little premature comparisons to a certain Heisman winner from a couple of years ago um, I, I, I don't know I mean Ole Miss should be good but I kind of like Florida State Mike I think I think I like Florida State to, to start this one out for for the conference and that means I'm picking the ACC to go 3-0 and against SEC teams this weekend, which might come back to bite me in the ass. And I also picked the ACC to go 3-0, and and I just hate my North Carolina pick so much, but I'm not confident enough to change it against Georgia. I just know. I, I wish I knew more about both of these teams. Um, the only thing I know is the offense in North Carolina is going to be good. Like, I don't, I don't know enough yet, and that sounds crazy. We've talked about it for weeks. We've done the research. We've previewed teams. We've written about them for our respective sites. I just, I still don't know anything about some of these ACC, ACC teams yet on offense. When your big unknown is a quarterback or it's a running back or it's a defensive front, I mean, when you're dealing with whole portions of a unit, it's really difficult to pick these games in week one. But um, these are big-time games. They'll be extremely entertaining, and hopefully they – caliber of, of play that we're expecting out of all these teams, ACC or otherwise, this year kind of live up to the hype and opening weekend, so we have a fun a fun weekend of games to watch here, but um, yeah, 3-0, and it, it could end up being bold, we'll just have to see uh, come early next week. Well, I'm squarely on the, the hype train of kind of the national consensus about this being one of the best opening weekends in recent memory in college football, and I think that these, these three out-of-conference games, North Carolina, Georgia, Clemson, Auburn, and Florida State Ole Miss are, you know, no small part of that. That's Those are three good marquee matchups, all on national television, uh, all very visible games that that hopefully work to, you know, kind of establish a positive reputation for the ACC here early on in this season. Um, but, yeah, so it should be some, some fun competition here uh, with some out-of-conference stuff early in the year. Mike, let's move on to our final segment of the show. And so this is something that we're going to start doing at the end of every show something that we call odds and wagers or picks of the week maybe and so the way that this is going to work is we've talked about through this through this uh, podcast that there are several lines for each of these games mostly the 
FBS games, I guess. Um, but our, our goal here is to make one pick on any given line, and that could be either a spread or a total. And if you really want to get into it, you could do, like, first half spreads or totals or whatever you want to do. But basically, we got to make the one pick that we are the most confident in here. And we're going to keep track of these and see uh, who is a better and or more degenerate gambler throughout this fall if we were just, per se, you know, actually playing with money, which we're not because we're law-abiding citizens. Yeah, we don't actually do that, do we? Um, Absolutely and if, not. And if we did, we wouldn't tell anybody necessarily. Um, Joey, I guess I'll go first here. Um, Clemson's giving 7.5 to Auburn. Um, and for those of you playing at home, that means that Clemson's a 7.5-point favorite. Um, for those of you who aren't, aren't as familiar with betting... In my opinion, given what I've seen out of Clemson's offense in the past, the fact they're not really losing a ton on that side of the ball, they're actually gaining a playmaker in Mike Williams that's an All-American receiver. The fact their defense is as good as any in the country, despite losing two of their players there in the front seven that were big-time pass rushers for him last year, I don't think it matters in this game because I'm not sure Auburn is necessarily going to be able to throw the ball that well. And to go kind of along with that same token, a whole element of the run game for Auburn is kind of taken away with Sean White being a pocket passer. If you don't have a rushing quarterback that can put pressure on the defense, I think that Auburn offense isn't quite as good um, as it could be, obviously. And for that reason, I think Clemson, a 7.5-point favorite, I'm going to take that as my pick of the week. I think they cover that spread. I think Auburn will hang around because they are at home, but I'm confident that Clemson could win this game. Um by two scores, whether that's 10 points or by 14, um, but I think they'll definitely cover 7.5 and, and win this game outright. Again, kind of a weird road matchup to start the year with for Clemson at Jordan-Hare on a Saturday night like that, but uh, I, I like that pick. I think that's a good one. For me, I'm going to the North Carolina-Georgia game. I really like that game to go over the total of 56 points. Um, I, I think that that one has all sorts of barn burner potential, talking about getting into totals in like the 70s and 80s um, I think that there's there's enough kind of questions surrounding Georgia's defense and as good as North Carolina's offense is as we know but then also the the general trouble that North Carolina's had stopping the run going up against the running backs that they're going to see in Nick Chubb and Sonny Michelle Georgia doesn't have to be very complicated on offense I don't think to score points on this North Carolina defense and and likewise if North Carolina just goes out and does what they do, even in game one under Mitch Trubisky, I think they're going to be just fine. They're going to put up plenty of points as, as well. So I'm going over 56 points in that game. I will be pretty surprised if it goes under. Uh, so that's one to, to look at if you're if you're looking to uh, make wagers with friends or family or online sports books or what have you. That, that's a good pick, Joe. It just makes me a little bit nervous because I have no idea what Georgia's going to be playing with heading into that game, so that's why I'm staying away from that. But, you know, assuming everybody's playing, everybody's healthy, and, you know, I do expect one of Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle, probably both will be healthy enough to play. But if that's the case, over 56, definitely a possibility. I mean, all that takes really is for Georgia to put up 20 points, and then I think you're in great shape because I think North Carolina is definitely – capable of scoring in the 30s. If that's the case, you're going to be right on that 56 number and probably a little bit over it. So um, that could end up being a very easy pick. 
the biggest question becomes whether North Carolina sells out on defense to stop the run and forces Jacob Eason to beat them, which true freshman, again, I think he's going to have a freshman moment or two in this game, but he's also got a whole lot of skill talent kind of on the outside, some, some unproven and new skill talent, but plenty of it, obviously, with a team like Georgia and how well they recruit. So, again, yeah, the question just becomes, are, are they able to overcome UNC throwing eight defenders at the run every play, which still I kind of think Georgia would probably be able to. I was about so. to say, I like Georgia's chances even in that you know, situation. I mean, you, yep. can load, you can load the box. I'm still not sure I know enough about North Carolina's rush defense to think that they'd be able to stop it. Absolutely. So, Mike, you got Clemson minus 7.5. So, Clemson to win by 8 or more. I've got North Carolina and Georgia over 56, so they combine for more than 56 points. We're going to keep track of these. We're going to report back every week and talk about how we're doing and uh, and figure out if, if – the the, uh, the listeners should be listening to one or either or neither of us uh, when when making their picks each weekend. Yeah, it should be fun. And one of our many segments that we have up our sleeve here, and we'll be able to introduce a few more here as the season kicks off. No kidding. I, so we need to get out of here, Mike. This has been a lot of fun. It's it's so exciting that we're finally getting real football to talk about here. Um, I'm sure we're going to learn way more than we ever wanted to here in week one about all of these teams. Uh, there might be teams getting on embarrassing like upset alert if they're playing against FCS teams. You've got Georgia Tech and Boston College in Ireland and what could be any kind of game. Um, North Carolina, Georgia, Clemson, Auburn, and Florida State, Ole Miss in some very national matchups. So this is a great slate of opening weekend games, I think. Uh, I kind of I, I wish I didn't have to miss all the other ones, but I'm sure I'll be enjoying my time in Ireland anyways. Um, so we're, we're going to come back next week. And like I said, I will be in Ireland uh, for the next about week and a half, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna miss next week's show. But Mike, I think you got something arranged to uh, to supplement in the meantime. I do, and the guest will be named next week, but I do have him locked in, so uh, should be a fun show next week, Joey. Even though you won't be here, uh, enjoy Ireland, um, enjoy whatever college football you're able to maybe see um, outside of that Georgia Tech-Boston College game. I know it'll be tough given the time change and all that, but Ireland will be sick. So enjoy your game. Enjoy the vacation. Hopefully Georgia Tech wins for you because that's a long way of travel to see a loss, especially in the opener. Well, thank you, Mike. I, I'm looking forward to it. It should be a lot of fun. And uh, and I look forward to the five-hour time change, meaning I'm streaming football games at like one in the morning in Ireland because I'm that starved for college football right now. I was about to say, you know, do it for opening weekend. There are some sacrifices you have to make even when you're overseas. And they are all worth it. Don't tell my wife I said that. All right. <laughs> Until next week, for Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. We've enjoyed it. Enjoy this week in Slate of Games. Until then, go ACC.